everybody, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast. The podcast brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Handley from Flatlining.net, and over the next two weeks, we've got two very special programs for you. We've had thousands of downloads of our podcast this year, and that's all thanks to you, our listeners. Thank you for helping us have a great first year of the Flatlining Podcast. We're very excited for what year two is going to bring, but we're not going to share too much on that right now. This week and next, however, we are going to look back on our top four most listened to segments from this year. As always, we want to hear from you. If you have comments or questions about any of these segments, feel free to email us at flatlining at substack.com or send me a tweet. I'm at Radio Handley on Twitter. Ron Howergan wrote a very good piece on Flatlining.net earlier this year called The End of the Beginning. And in that piece, he explained that we're not really at the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Rather, we're just getting started. Everything about our world has changed since the spring of 2020. We are much more conscious about COVID and flu and RSV and all sorts of other diseases. On the negative side, we're much more divided, in part because of certain people on the Internet who blow studies out of proportion and usually for their own political agenda. We spoke about one of those people on a bonus episode of the Flatlining Podcast this year. We spoke about Dr. Joseph Mercola. That was our fourth most listened to segment this year, and it's where we start our best of 2022 program. From November 17th, at number four, here's Dr. Mercola's Strange Vaccine Theories. Ryan, I guess I'll let you start by explaining um, who Mercola is and why you would not recommend him to be read if you're interested in hearing about vaccines, health procedures, any sort of general treatment. Yeah, so Dr. Mercola, and he is a doctor. He's an osteopathic mm -hmm. doctor. Uh, he is board certified in family medicine. Um, I should note, not immunology, not infectious disease. Um Dr. McCullough has got a long history of a pretty predictable pattern, and it has done exceedingly well for him. So this is a doctor who quite a while ago started to stray from what people would call traditional medicine and moved into what he was sort of referring to as sort of more homeopathic, you know, dealing with the whole, um, the whole of the person and natural cures, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he found a very good formula to make serious amounts of money. And the formula that he uses, and he's used it many, many times, and I'll, I'll give you a couple examples, is let's find something that I can scare people with and let's create this massive conspiracy theory and then let's sell them the cure. Now, some of this gets into the incredibly ridiculous. At one point on Dr. McCullough's website and in his company, he was making the claim that, and I'm not making this up, this is true, that spring mattresses, you know, those coil springs, mm -hmm. amplify harmful radiation and that you're actually getting radiation from the springs. And you know hmm. what? There were vitamin supplements that he prom promotes and sells that could cure that. And he huh. did. Um, on his website have been, now he's, he's since taken all the stuff down, and I think you know, because he was starting to get too much legal heat. Here are some of the web, the headlines that were on his website. Um, your flu shot contains a dangerous neurotoxin. Vitamin D, the silver bullet for cancer, which he sells vitamin D, by the way. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm going to do full disclosure here. As some of you have listened to this podcast before, my son has autism. So one of them was learn how homeopathy cured a boy of autism. Now, hmm. I'm going to give my personal rant on this for just Go a for minute. It. As a father, uncensored. <laughs> yeah, as a father of a child with autism, I would literally cut off my right arm to cure my son of autism. Mm -hmm. I would do anything. Okay, people who sell this kind of false hope to to parents who are dealing with autism, I hope there's a special place in hell for them, because you're preying on the worst event possible. It's a child that you can't fix and a parent who loves that child who would do anything to fix that. So saying that homeopathy medicine, which he sells very profitably, by the mm -hmm. way, could cure my son of autism is some of the worst of what society has to offer, in my opinion. And he has done very well by doing it. In an actual affidavit, a court affidavit where he was being sued, he admitted that his net worth is in excess of $100 million. Now, I don't know a whole lot of osteopathic doctors who are primary care focused, whose net worth is over $100 million. Mm. Um, he has been um, warned by the Food and Drug Administration on multiple occasions. Um, at one point, he was promoting and selling tanning beds as a cure by saying that um, they actually reduced your chances of getting cancer, okay? Um, and he had to pay back several million dollars, I think almost $3 million to people who bought those tanning beds as a refund as part of a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission who mm -hmm. brought up false advertising claims against him. So Mercola's got this long history. And when COVID came, he saw dollar signs and said, hoo-hoo, I could tell people that these vaccines are garbage, that they're changing their DNA, which he actually said, not mm -hmm. true. And then I can sell them the cure. I can sell them vitamin D and I can sell them all these supplements. And he made a ton of money doing it. Right. So that's who the good Dr. McCullough is. Right. And it's interesting because that seems to be the tactic of a lot of people that I wonder why they're successful at whatever media venture that they might be in. For example, Alex Jones would be, Alex Jones is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. He's come up with conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy. I know at one point um, he was convinced that there were government robots in the water that you were drinking. And what did he have on his website? It was a water filter to filter your tap water <laughs> exactly. to get the government bots out. Um, another example I can think of in the religious world in the Catholic world, of which, which I am a part of, is the right-wing website uh, Church Militant. You have someone who constantly says that the current pontiff is, is the Antichrist, and that if you pay to join their premium subscription, you are fighting you are fighting Satan in the church by mm -hmm. joining his yeah. by joining his uh, resistance movement. Um, so this seems to be the common theme for people that that um, that make a lot of money on a lot of these conspiracies. Because mm -hmm. sometimes people wonder about that, that, well, they must be successful so that there must be something behind what they're saying. And, and really, it's no, it's preying on it's preying on fear uh, and it's preying on. Um, I liked what you said, false hope. That That's yeah. that's really what it is. Yeah, exactly. And and, and Mercola is not the only one who's ever done it through no. throughout time. And he just is pretty good at it. And he definitely was uh, he made like the 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 top 12, you know, um, super spreaders for disinformation, for misinformation. Right. And the interesting thing is another person on that list is actually his girlfriend. 
Um, <laughs> so there were two in that same sort of household that made that list. But he figured out that this is a wonderful way to make an absolute ton of money, and he has made mm-hmm. a ton of money on these people. And what I wonder is, you know, how many people listened to him and believed him because he's a doctor and, and didn't know better and didn't get vaccinated and died or mm-hmm. tried to cure their COVID with his supplements and died? Um, we'll never know that number, but I right. know it's more than a few. Right. During the heights of COVID, I worked as a um, as a producer on a nationally syndicated radio program, and we talked a decent amount about COVID, and we got pushback from a lot of listeners um, who would frequently point to – Mercola was one of the people that came up more than once, but point mm-hmm. to various people on the internet. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was another mm-hmm. person uh, in his children's health defense, I think is what the name of his organization is called um, – when talking about COVID and how really it's all a big scam. So I want to read to you. These are some of the, the, the bullet points at the top, Ron, of this article in the Epic Times that he wrote um, earlier. Uh, I guess this would be late last week that this article popped up. The, the first bullet point is that the, the CDC uh, has publicly warned that COVID is one of the top 10 causes of death in children aged 5 to 11, uh, yet they've never conducted any analysis for that age group. True or False. Um, this is one of the things that's really crafty about Mercola. There's a grain of truth there if you understand sort of what he's trying to get at the question. So the question is, um, you know, have you definitively done, for example, autopsies on those kids, et cetera? No. Okay. Um, they're they're using some inference data like we use on, on general mortality for mm-hmm. um, for covid and part of what their that inference data is we know that the total number of deaths for all age groups is a very constant number in this country and we know that it went up dramatically so they call it excess deaths so yes they're saying you know we know that you know uh, children age 5 to 11 the number of total deaths went up by x we know that on the death certificate the the physician listed covid as the cause of death you know, can we go back and definitively, did we do an autopsy and find out that there wasn't a brain hemorrhage that would have been completely unrelated? No. Well, that's what he's picking on. Right. Well, they haven't done that specific study. but he And he phrases it in a way to almost look like, well, they're just making this crap up, which is not true. That's a very good point. And that's a thing where, where you can say that something is true, true and related. Yes. Um, when you talk about, I mean, you had significantly more deaths than you had the previous year. What happened during that year? We had a novel coronavirus that we had never right. seen before. So that's right. that's obviously where you can say that. Because I know we talk about true, true, and unrelated a lot on this program. Um, and that's an instance where it's true, true, and related. I should have given you a little warning about the true, false thing. I, I'm sorry about no, that. Okay. But we'll no, keep going with right. some of these bullet no points worries. if you're good with it. Mm-hmm. The CDC, he says, has also lied about Pfizer's study results. This is for the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. He says, mm-hmm. claiming that the Pfizer, they claimed the Pfizer jab was 92% effective for those with previous COVID infection, and the actual trial data found no evidence of effect- efficacy of those with previous infection. True or false? Um, again, s- sort of, of true, mostly false. Yep. Um, so the trial data, what he's talking about was when they did the, the study data, didn't track whether you had a previous COVID infection. Because remember, when they were doing those trials, there wasn't a whole lot of great testing being done. So people may went into the trial and said, I think I had COVID. But there was, you know, at the time they were doing those first uh, trials, there weren't home tests. Mm-hmm. So 
They didn't track that piece of data. They knew that it was effective for people. They made some assumptions based on wastewater, et cetera, on how many of those people probably had had a previous bout of COVID. And what they showed was that the study group, um, the, the control group, didn't have a very good response, and they would have expected them to have a good response to the control group, meaning no no actual vaccine, if they had had some of it had previous COVID infection. So again, it's one of those things where, no, they didn't specifically do that in the trial data, but that wasn't the point of the trial. The trial was to find out if it was effective in keeping people out of the hospital, et cetera, mm-hmm. which it clearly was. And that's what he's not wanting to point out. Those were the two that I think we could point to as having a grain of truth in them. The next three, I think we can agree, are are provably false. And so the first one is, in July 2021, the FDA quietly disclosed finding an increase in four types of severe adverse events in elderly people who received the Pfizer COVID vaccine, uh, include acute mitocardial infarction, uh, disseminated intravascular coagulation, immune thrombotopenia, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and pulmonary embolism. Says, however, more than a year later, that study's still not published. I've seen studies on those, and yeah. they don't say what he's claiming for them to say. No, they actually say the opposite. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know where he's coming up with that. Um, that one, I don't know where his grain of truth is, even though I try to find that little bit of grain of truth, and I don't mm-hmm. think it's there. Because I know we talked about the um, throgduck. Thrombactopenia, excuse me, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago, and that was an instance where they found four people out of the thousands of right. people that they studied, and that was young men um, right. that they had studied across the United States and Europe, and they said it was, and that was for Johnson & Johnson and for uh, AstraZeneca, which right. he's not even talking about here. Uh, the FDA, he says, is also hiding other studies. Buried inside a study protocol, the FDA discusses findings from unpublished cohort of studies from the third dose for the third dose safety in the Medicare population where historical controls were used. He says in that Medicare study, the FDA found significant risk for immune uh, thrombactopenia and acute mitocardial infarction among those with prior COVID-19 diagnosis, as well as an increased risk of Bell's palmacy and pulmonary embolism in general. Again, I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that either. And one of the things to people to understand is you know, this, and I love the increased risk of Bell's palsy and pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. Anytime you put a needle in a human body, there's some risk of either Bell's palsy for hitting a nerve or pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. Now, that risk is infinitesimally small. But, you know, there's a, so is it true that it, by getting a vaccine, you're increasing your risk of Bell's palsy and pulmonary embolism? Well, yeah, technically speaking, because you're injecting a needle in and those two things could happen. But it's, infinitesimally small. I mean, you've got a better chance of winning a lottery than you do getting Bell's palsy or pulmonary embolism from an, in, an injection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final one, uh, and he says, analysis of the CDC's uh, mortality and morbidity weekly reports reveals that the CDC is systematically and automatically hiding jab-related deaths, particularly in categories like cancer, cardiac deaths, and strokes to make the shots appear unrelated to excess deaths. Well, and I think what he's talking about here is he goes on a lot about talking about the vaccine adverse events reporting system. Yep, I was um, just about to bring that up. And and he's making the wrong connection here, and it's clearly wrong. Um, and what he's saying is, look, well, you know, these people had their vaccine, um, and then six months later they died of cancer mm-hmm. or a stroke or a well. See, those were clearly related. Well, no, they're not. They're absolutely not. The vaccine. 
adverse events reporting system is designed to look for every possible connection. Okay, so it's designed to collect everything that happened and say, okay, so for, in, in, and I'll take it to a ridiculous standpoint. Um, you had a vaccine and the next day you wore a pair of jeans and then you died in a car accident. Well, maybe the jeans caused it. Right. You know, maybe, you know, and it's designed to have all these possible connections so that then you can evaluate it and look and say, well, what are the things we can say are potentially connected and what aren't? And what they found was, for example, like cancer. There is no connection between the vaccine and dying of cancer. There is no connection between the vaccine and, and some of these cardiac issues, et cetera. So, you know, the, you know, the CDTC's mortality morbidity is not hiding information or systematically, you know, lowering the jab-related deaths. I mean, that's just ridiculous, mm -hmm. especially when you think about how on earth this one vaccine could increase your chance of having death from cancer. And, I mean, I couldn't imagine the outcry from organizations like the American Medical Association or any scientific body of any university that wouldn't be up, jumping up and down if they had known that this was happening, oh. given just the honest you know, science that a lot of these physicians and, and, and PhDs want to do. Well, and the first thing that would happen is we wouldn't see doctors all vaccinating themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, or their kids for that matter. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I've talked to, um, I watched an emergency room physician get really heated in a discussion one time when the pediatric um, vaccines were first coming out and somebody's arguing, well, I'm not going to jab my kids. And she said, well, I'm jabbing my kids. And he said, why are you doing that to your children? And she said, because I intubated a kid today. You know, and, and mm -hmm. granted, you know, some people say, well, not that many kids died. And they, really, it wasn't nearly as bad for kids. But how many is an acceptable number if they're avoidable? Right. Because if it's my kid, the answer is zero is the only acceptable number. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, you know, you're right. The, if this were truly something where the government was hiding this crap, doctors are smart people that have figured it out, and there'd be an outcry of it. Um, and they darn sure wouldn't be vaccinating themselves at the rate that they are. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems to, reading through some of the, the rest of this article, and because that's, that's essentially the summaries, the bullet points mm -hmm. we just read. Yeah. And looking at, he's got graphs on here that I have, no idea where he pulled them from, although it looks like he says he pulled them from a, a website called The Ethical Skeptic, which yeah. I don't know if I will be taking a look at that and wasting my time. But taking a look at some of the rest of this article and looking at you know just some of the comments on the side, you see a lot of people that it seems like they've got a confirmation bias in here, that they're reading this, and all of a sudden, here's one person. She says, as a hospice worker, I've seen empirical evidence that senior population is dying much quickly from recently diagnosed cancers, and it's all because of the vaccines. Well, is that really true, or is that true because... You've read it, and now you're starting to see more. You're starting to see people die of cancer, and you're making that connection. Um, same thing down here at the bottom. There's someone who says that, that lawyers should be suing the CDC and FDA, and they would make a bundle of money on this, except that they wouldn't because it's provably false. And I don't know if you can sue the federal government. Right. Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I know a guy who I think in his soul believes that. If he wears the right jersey, his favorite hockey team is going to win because every time he's worn it, they won. Right. And so that's his that's his trial, and he's convinced that that's the. And I'm never going to talk him out of it. Um, and and I same thing. I, I you know I know somebody who you know tried to tell me. Well, I've seen all these people in in nursing homes and all this. So your one environment 
in this highly anecdotal where you also didn't get to do an autopsy or whatever, that you've now drawn a conclusion that the whole country is wrong um, from what you've seen. And, and yeah, you've got some observation bias there. The other thing is some of the stuff he puts in there, like, you know, I think one of his comments was something how like, you know, one out of every 800 people with the vaccine is going to have some serious injury. Okay. Probably meaning that, you know, that, um, caused by the vaccine. Right. If, if anywhere close to that had come out in the initial studies where they were doing 30,000, you know, initial, if anywhere close to one out of every 800, that vaccine would have never been approved. As a matter of fact, the trial would have been shut down immediately, you know, so where he comes up with this one out of 800, it'd be nice to see where that data is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I remember when I, I got, I got both jabs, um, fairly early on uh, in when my age group opened up. And I remember I mentioned to someone who, who I was legitimately close friends with and they, I don't know if I have spoken to them since because not because of something that I've decided to do, but because they, I don't think were necessarily willing to speak to me after I had told them that I had gotten the vaccine and they were, they were convinced that something was going to happen to me. And I have yet to experience that um, where, where that has been the case, but they were, hurriedly reassuring me, well, we're, I'm going to be part of the control group and we're going to prove that every, that all these other people are wrong. Well, you can be part of the control group and we've seen that you are more susceptible to the virus than ever, than the people who've gotten vaccinated. Yeah. So yeah, that, that didn't work out too well for a lot of people in that control mm-hmm. group. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I got it very early because, um, because my son has autism, I'm in the category of a caregiver. Mm-hmm. So I was almost in that same first wave as people who were working in hospitals and stuff because, you know, we provide him provide him care. So my wife and I got vaccinated very early. And my thing was, I, and luckily I know a lot of doctors. You know, I talked to many of the, uh, several of the doctors that, that I work with and asked them, you know, are you, do you think this thing is, is safe? And they were universally, absolutely. I've seen mm-hmm. the studies, it's safe. And then my next question, are you, are you going to vaccinate it? And most of them, because they worked in the healthcare field, we go, already am. I'm like, yep. all right, that's all I need to know. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've had four. You know, I've had, uh, yeah. you know, the two, the booster and the second booster. And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've had COVID. It was a very mild experience of COVID. I don't know whether I would have had it much worse. Nobody can ever say that. But I know I wasn't going to take the risk. Right. And I've I've had the the third booster. I haven't had the the updated ones for the new um, the variants. I was waiting to see if mm-hmm. I when I go to my doctor's appointment at some point if they're going to offer that there right in the office. Then I don't have to think about it. Wait wait a minute wait a minute. You're going to follow the advice of your personal physician. You know and what? Not, and, and you not know, the good and doctor McCullough. <laughs> you know, unlike some of the people that I met working in radio, I don't walk <laughs> into my doctor's office saying I know more than you. Now give me what I want. <laughs> Because um, that was my concern when we were talking about the Amazon clinic that you're going to have, or any telemedicine really, you're going to have someone walk in and says, I know what I need, just prescribe it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, and I mentioned this before, is that I don't normally get the flu shot. And when I was at my doctor's office last year, they said, well, I needed a tetanus booster because I was a little late on, on a tetanus booster. And they said, well, do you want a, do you want a flu shot where you're here? It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you reckon? It's like, well, we recommend people get it. Cause it's sort of like the COVID vaccine. You know, the more people that get the flu shot, the less the flu is going to go around. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's fine. It's, it's not going to cost me anything when I'm sitting there. And it's not like we know people don't die from the flu vaccine. Yeah. Um, 
with the exception being Ukraine, where they're using live virus flu vaccines, right. unlike what we use in, in the rest of the right. country. And I've mentioned that on the Friday Pulse Check, just as an interesting public health problem that they're they're having there, that that's what they have access to. And because their healthcare system is such shambles, um, you are seeing deaths there. But that's because it's a it's, excuse me, it's not a shot. It's a pill. It's a live virus um, mm-hmm. flu pill vaccine, which I right. was not even aware that was being used anymore. Well, well, your doctor's nicer than mine. When I when I went um, in the middle of COVID, when the uh, the flu vaccines were coming out, um, my doctor's nurse walked in and said, "We're getting the flu vaccine today." And I kind of looked at her like, and she said, "It wasn't a question." I was like, <laughs> "Okay." And, and then she pointed out, she said, "Really, if you don't want it," but you know, she pointed out, you know, the last thing we want you to do is be dealing with COVID and get the flu. Mm-hmm. So let's just go ahead and do it. And I routinely hadn't gotten the flu vaccine, but I just thought it was funny that, you know, and they know me really well, but they, she's like, you're getting the flu vaccine. I looked at her funny. She goes, it wasn't a question. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I get it. Dr. Mercola isn't the only one on the internet that spreads strange things about COVID-19 or vaccines or medicine in general. You may recall that earlier this year, we tore apart an opinion piece by a physician known on the internet and on his book as Paracelsus. It's some rather wacko theories about medicine and how it gets done in this country. You know, physicians are paid for recommending statins by the drug companies, etc., etc., Interestingly enough, he has disappeared from Twitter and Substack, so I can't reshare any of his articles. But what I can tell you is that his and Mercola's theories have an albeit negative place in politics. Ron and I discussed a piece from Paul Keckley, PhD, who explained that healthcare is never discussed in enough detail in politics to make a difference. You're for abortion or against abortion? You're for Medicare for all or you're against Medicare for all? You are for vaccines or against vaccines. That's all the detail we ever get from any of our politicians or that we're ever asked in any polling. There's never any nuance in these discussions, and they especially never explain the consequences of each. From September 7th at number three in our most listened to segments of 2022, we enter the fact-free zone. Staying with politics, I want to turn to a um, healthcare policy analyst, uh, Dr. Paul uh, Keckley. He's a PhD uh, who had in his uh, newsletter just the past couple of days, and now again, like my article earlier, has disappeared from my screen. Uh, he has was talking about the countdown to the election in November and had some observations regarding healthcare. And he pointed out that campaigns are probably going to avoid healthcare issues. Um, other than abortion. Uh, he said, conceding that health care is expensive and access is uneven, he said, most of the midterm campaigns will default to these partisan themes. And for the Republicans, it will be the U.S. healthcare system is the best in the world because of capitalism and entrepreneurialism, uh, and the Affordable Care Act failed to slow health cost increase and should be replaced. He said, on the Democratic side, I'm going to hear the same messaging that you usually hear um, during a general election, that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Prescription drug companies and hospitals price gouge. Health system is unfair. 
and public health is poor. Um, I generally take... I, I take a little bit of issue because I don't think the GOP cares enough about the Affordable Care Act anymore to talk about it. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on those um, Democratic and Republican themes of health care in the midterm. Yeah, so I, I think um, he's generally right. I, I agree with you. I don't think they'll get deep enough to actually tie to the Affordable Care Act because it's now so ingrained that it's a tough, you know, it's a it's a tough hill. Um, I think what they'll do is more of a a more you know, 10 second sound bite. Um, and that's the, it ain't, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Um, you know, that this is the best healthcare system in the world and what they'll probably do rather than saying the affordable care act didn't caught, you know, stave off medical inflation. They'll say, and the Democrats want socialistic healthcare where everybody's going to have to wait long times for appointments and, you know, our quality will go down. I think that will be their, um, their pitch. I think they'll drop the affordable care act piece on it. Cause it's just, too you know, too difficult to explain. And they they couldn't even pass it when they had a Republican controlled Congress right. and a Republican White House. Right. So, um, but it's you you know I think he's right in that there's going to be hey it, everything's great why mess with it and those guys want you to be you know want us to be Canada or England where everybody has to wait ten years to get a surgery right uh, and doesn't get access to the best medicines you know. Um, and, and, and he's right. The Democrats will say, you know, hey, this is a horrible system. So many people can't afford it. It's breaking the backs of the working people. And, you know, they'll, they'll do their piece. One of the more uh, interesting things that he had in his analysis here is that he said healthcare is increasingly a fact free zone for politicians seeking votes. That's a pretty big statement to say that when people going out campaigning are just not caring about <laughs> the facts of the matter when we talk about healthcare, I mean, he he boils it down to three basic things. He, first is that voters don't understand the U.S. healthcare system. Um, it, it's not, um, you know, it's it is fairly complicated. Sometimes with the insurance plans, we talked about Medicare, talked about Medicaid, talked about pharmacy benefit managers. It's a complicated system. Uh, he also talked about how healthcare policies issues of significance are very complicated. Um, with, you know, we talk about the Affordable Care Act, you know, whether or not it's going to slow the cost of health care, whether or not um, block grants are going to make Medicare and Medicaid more affordable. Um, he, rather than something like abortion, where you have, are you for abortion or are you against abortion? It's very uh, diametrically opposed. And finally, he says that trusted sources are now less trusted. And he, he points to things like the Supreme Court. Uh, he talks about the Centers for Disease Control Prevention. Uh, and other healthcare agencies based off of the COVID pandemic. I'm curious what you what your thoughts are on on those three things. And do you think that healthcare is a fact free healthcare in politics is become a fact free zone? Yeah, I, I, I loved his comment about it, you know that the way he condensed it down to a fact free zone because I think he's almost dead on right on all of it. Healthcare is an incredibly complicated. Um, system and issue. It's not something that lends itself well to a, a 10 second soundbite or something that you can, you know, that you can consume in the average Twitter post. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's absolutely right about that. You know, we now are have a, we have real trust issues. I mean, we've got a segment of the population who doesn't trust the FBI now and they don't trust the CDC and they don't trust a, and it's almost like in some parts of the population, I wonder, um, is there anything you do trust? I mean, is it everybody out to get you sort of right. perspective? Um, but I also think this is a symptom that's bigger than just healthcare. 
you know, taken, we've talked about it before, about sort of the abortion issue. Right after the Supreme Court ruling, uh, you know, which received an awful lot of attention. I mean, you had to mm-hmm. be pretty much asleep not to know that something major happened in the Supreme Court. I was talking to an individual who's, you know, a pretty intelligent individual. And the following statement came out of their mouth. I'm so glad that the Supreme Court made abortion illegal. And I said, no, no. Right. That's not at all what happened. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. They ruled against Roe v. Wade, and now abortion is illegal. I said, no, no. And, and this wasn't even about the pros or cons of abortion. I wasn't even getting right. it. I was like, no, no. What they said was it's a state issue, that right. it's not a federal right, and therefore the states can decide. And the person looked at me like I had three heads and said, no, mm-hmm. they made it illegal. And So if something that really should be a fairly simple thing, you know, the what the Supreme Court said and what states can or can't do was completely blown out of the water because for some reason, somehow, this individual probably saw a tweet that said, hooray, abortion is now illegal, and that's all they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, how on earth is that person ever going to get engaged enough to deal with the complexities of all the things we've talked about and the three pillars of healthcare and how, you know, balancing between quality and cost effectiveness and access and all that, it ain't going to happen. Right. Um, and when you add that with a trust problem, and I'm not going to believe somebody who tells me otherwise, it's an individual that I've known for a fairly long time and they didn't even bother to go, well, geez, Ron, I, what, do you, what do you mean? Or, it was just, why are you spouting this thing that's wrong to me? I remember I read the Twitter post, you know, and I was like, mm-hmm. holy cow. So, yeah, I think Keckley's absolutely right. But I also think that you could say fact-free zone in politics about a number of things, sure. uh, not just healthcare. It's sad because healthcare is such a huge part of of what our economy runs on. And it's something everybody eventually at some point in their life uses and needs um, it's fad that, sad that that's turned into a fact-free zone, but I think he's dead on right. Right, and, and even point out another issue that outside of healthcare, you, you could hear um, from certain people that, well, Donald Trump cut taxes with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Mm-hmm. And that might be true for some people, but it definitely wasn't true for anyone, for everyone, rather. Right. And and it, it boils down to those issues. And and Keckley makes that interesting point about the, the, the exact point you talked about with the um, opinions about abortion. It's not just pro-choice and pro-life. Dobbs' decision was much more, uh, much more impressive, for lack of a better word, than than that. It was about mm-hmm. the federal government's role in certain state policies. Um, oh yeah, I mean, you get, you want to get sort of deeper and nuanced into that. I mean, it, it it was much more important, I think, from a perspective of federal government's role and, and what their limits of authority are under the Constitution, et cetera. It also you could get into, and there's no way the general public's going to get this deep, into the whole thing about settled law. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we we had been, to a large degree, operating on with the Supreme Court acting as if, well, if it's already been ruled, we're not going to overrule. We're not going to change what is, quote unquote, settled law. Right. Well, now that's changed. And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying now, okay, well, um, are there other things that have been settled law that might not need to be or shouldn't or can we not count on in mm-hmm. the future? Um, I'll give you a personal example. You know, um, you know, my child has autism. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a case 
years ago with a school in Iowa that established that every individual in this country is due a free and public education, regardless of the cost. Okay, that, that if a school says, well, that student would be very difficult to, to service because they have all these other needs and it would cost us too much, that Iowa case said, no, it doesn't matter. That is an inalienable right. Well, can I still count on that or that might that be changed? And again, I'm not arguing pro or con on the whole mm -hmm. decision versus abortion. I'm not getting it. I'm just saying, you know, there's a deeper issue in, in, in states versus federal rights, but also there's a subtle law issue. There's other issues around it. But we didn't even get close to scratching the surface of it when it first came out because in our current sort of I have only so many characters on Twitter and the media only has my attention for 12 seconds. Right. It mm -hmm. condenses everything down and, and that creates real problems for us. You can find articles about all of the things we discuss on this program in the show notes at flatlining.net. Thanks for joining us on our first of two best of episodes from this year. If you have further comments about these programs, feel free to share them in the comments section at flatlining.net or on social media. You can also follow me and Ron on Twitter. I'm at Radio Handley and Ron is at Ron Howergan. You can also send us an email, flatlining at substack.com. Your comments may even be featured on the program. Maybe we'll have more on that next year. Next week, we'll have the top two most listened to segments of 2022. So if you're not subscribed, now is a great opportunity to do so. You can get every episode and every newsletter from flatlining.net sent to your email address each week by subscribing for free at flatlining.net. You can also follow or subscribe to the Flatlining podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. For Ron Howard again, I'm Matthew Handley. Have a good week.